Well, good morning. Um, my name is Matthew Wolgast. I've been coming to Faith for about three years now, and I also get the chance to help lead the College Age 242 Bible Studies. Um, today I'll be reading from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up, the, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to serve this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word. Thanks, Matt. Good work on those names. You never know what you're getting into when you say, I'll read scripture. Actually, I went to my Bible app and listened to it in different translations, and they pronounce it differently in different translations, so uh, it all works. That's great. Hey, good to be with you this morning. Great to have uh, you here in the room. Those that are joining us for home, glad to, to be worshiping together this morning. Uh, last Sunday, I had a conversation with uh, a couple out in the, the lobby after the, the service, and uh, they were getting close to having their second child, and I made the uh, observation that, in my experience, going from one child to two children was for us the hardest adjustment in our parenting. There's just something about uh, that adjustment that was hard. Of course, when we went from two to three, then we had the adjustment of, you know, we couldn't play man-on-man defense anymore. I had to go to a, a zone and four kids. It was something else. So uh, each child had uh, required changes and adjustments in how we did things. There were, there were growing pains that had to be navigated as our family expanded. Similar things true in a church. As a church grows, inevitably there will be growing pains that need to be navigated for a church to continue to meet the the needs that it's called to meet, to stay healthy and to stay on mission. New needs and opportunities arise, problems pop up, ministry structures that worked in the earlier days no longer serve the church well. And we see that kind of thing happening in the passage that we're looking at today in Acts chapter 6. They had to navigate one of their growing pains. It's an internal issue. Last week we saw an external issue, an external threat that threatened the church. This one's an internal one that was created from growth, um, but it really threatens their unity. It threatens the mission of the church. The principle we're going to see in this passage today is that a growing, healthy church will adapt and change to meet needs and stay on mission. A growing, healthy church will adapt and change to meet needs and stay on mission mission. And so we're going to talk about that today. Let me just say, there was someone here uh, at the first service, very first time, and after the sermon, he was like, so what kind of changes go, like, what's going on? And I want to to assure you, as we talk about this, it's not like we're addressing this because there's an issue that we have to address about change, okay? So it's just what I see the text saying. This is, a, this is a transitional passage in the book of Acts as well. Uh, up to this point, the, the focus has all been about the church 
and its ministry in Jerusalem. But as we move out from the passage that we're looking at today, it will be uh, moving out. You know, Jesus called his, the, his disciples to not just be witnesses in Jerusalem, right, but Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And so this is uh, kind of the conclusion of the first phase of the growth of the church, but it will begin to move out uh, of Jerusalem as we go forward here. Last week, if you were here, you saw at the end of chapter 5, the, the apostles have been arrested again. They had been brought before the religious leaders. They were commanded to speak no more in the name of Jesus. They were beaten, but they went on their way rejoicing, and they continued to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. And so the the church kept growing. They refused to be intimidated by the external threat. But now there's something internal that the church is going to have to address. And so in verse 1 again, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So they kept preaching. The church kept growing. The disciples were increasing in number. And so it was in these days that a problem arose. There's one group in the church, the Hellenists, that have a complaint against another group in the church, the Hebrews. The Hebrews, these were native-born. These were... Uh, their conversational language was Aramaic. They read the scriptures in Hebrew. The Hellenists, on the other hand, they belonged to families of the dispersion, uh, Jewish people that had been spread abroad over the years. They were raised outside of Palestine. They spoke Greek. They read the Old Testament scriptures in what we know as the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. They were very influenced by Greek culture. Some had returned to Palestine over the years because they wanted to die in their homeland. But some were more newly arrived because some had come to celebrate the day of Pentecost. You maybe remember in chapter 2 where Luke described that there were all these people from all these surrounding nations on the day of Pentecost. And so there's these Hellenists that are present and are part of this church. Luke tells us that this young, growing church is made up of Jewish Christians who have come to Christ from two very different cultures. Yes, they're both Jewish in background, but they have other cultural things that make them very different. And a complaint arose from the Hellenists, the group that would have been smaller, more of the outsiders, against the Hebrews, the more predominant group. And their complaint is that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, the daily distribution of provisions for food. Both of these groups would have had a commitment to the care of widows. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is part of their Jewish faith. They, they knew the Old Testament cared a lot about this. So both of these would have cared about this, but the, old, the, the Hellenist widows were being overlooked. It's possible there was some kind of prejudice involved in this, but, but Luke actually uses the word neglect. And, and so I think it's more likely it was, it was oversight, it was ignorance. Um, it was a problem that arose because the church was growing Fast And the apostles didn't have the ability to continue to preach word and meet needs, which they had been doing. Up to this point, they had been responsible for meeting practical needs. You maybe remember back in chapter 4 how believers would sell land, they would sell houses, and they would come and lay the proceeds at the feet of the apostles, right? And so it was the apostles that were receiving that money, distributing it. And Luke tells us at that time it had worked. In, in 434, Luke made the statement, there was not a needy person among them. All the needs were met. It was working, but not anymore. 
There are needy people now. The Hellenist widows were not being taken care of. And so this is a problem that threatens the unity of the church. It's not handled with wisdom. If it's not handled in a timely way, it could become a rift between these two groups in the church. They were experiencing growing pains that they needed to navigate. You know, as we think about our, us and our situation here, we can expect that as we grow, as we continue to grow, there will always be growing pains that we must navigate as well. We know this from Scripture. We know this from broader church history. We know this from our 36-year history as a church. As much as we wish we could just sort of move into the future, keep doing things the way we've always done them, no change, that just isn't reality. If we are going to stay a growing, healthy church, we will need to adapt and change to meet needs to stay on mission. It's true in families. It's true in organizations. It's true in the church. Luke tells us how the apostles respond. Verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, when you hear serve tables in our world, in our day, what do we think of? We think of a waiter in a restaurant, right? Someone that's bringing you your food. And yet that's not really what's in view here. Um, What is in view here is receiving financial gifts and then wisely dispensing those to the church so that needs can be met. And so it's, it's organizational, administrative skills that are needed. And so the apostles have been doing that plus preaching the word. And for a time that had worked, but now the demands of preaching have just become too much. The last time Luke has told us how the church has expanded, he said it's over 5,000 men. And so the, just the responsibility of, of teaching and equipping all of those peoples has become too, too much And they failed to give appropriate attention to meeting practical needs. So the complaint comes, and and when it does, the apostles, the leaders, they don't ignore it. They don't explain away. They they own it. They lean into it. And they call the church together to work out a solution. And they say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And when they say that, they're not saying that it's beneath them to do that because they had been doing that. They're not saying it's less important. They're not saying it's less spiritual. This is about staying true to the core thing that they know that God has called them to do. They know it would not be acceptable in God's eyes that they would give up preaching and teaching the word to devote themselves to meeting practical needs. They know both are equally important, but they need to stay focused on the core thing that God has called them to do. So they adapt. They develop a new structure, a new organizational structure that the needs can be met. And so they say in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they're clear on what God has called them to. They were to lead in prayer. And and that probably meant uh, leading the church and and continue to go up to the temple during the set hours of prayer to pray there. It it probably meant gathering the church together for times of of prayer. But they'd also seen Jesus' model of of getting away for for extended times of solitude and silence and, and talking to God in prayer. So it probably meant that as well. They were to lead in prayer. But they were also to lead in in the ministry of the word. And so that that meant teaching and equipping the church, but also proclaiming the gospel as they had been doing to those who did not yet believe. 
These were the things they were called to. These were the things they knew God wanted them to focus on, while at the same time knowing that the practical needs needed to be met. And so they call the church to develop a new structure. They ask the church to select seven men that they can appoint to this duty. They will give away leadership responsibility to these men. And these men must be of good repute. In other words, people have seen their lives, they've observed their lives, and they respect them because of how they live their lives. Men full of the Spirit. In other words, they are submitted and, and, and following Christ. They are letting the Spirit lead their lives. And they should be full of wisdom. These are the kind of men that they would appoint to this duty. Serving tables was primarily administrative, organizational in nature, but it was still spiritual work. And so the church, the leaders, they don't say, hey, church, we just need some people who are good at organizing. doesn't really matter if they're spiritually minded or not. We, we just need some, some guys who can count and get things where they need to go. They, they don't do that. They didn't see this as non-spiritual work. All serving is spiritual serving. And so they want the church to find godly men led by the Spirit, full of wisdom, to put in charge of this task. And we would be wise to think in the same way that all serving is spiritual serving. When we think about any kind of leadership, there's qualifications, right? Well, how did the congregation respond? Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. The church chooses seven qualified men to serve in this role. And it's interesting, all of these men have Greek names. It's possible they, they came from the Hebrew part of the church. He, Hebrew Jewish people had Greek names as well. But it's likely, I think it's likely that these men were all chosen from the Hellenistic part of the church. We don't know much about any of them other than Stephen and Philip. Uh, as we go on uh, in chapter 6 and verse 8, it's going to focus on Stephen, this man who is full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and, and we'll read about how he boldly proclaimed the gospel, becomes the first martyr. And in chapter 8, we'll see how Philip was used by God to take the gospel outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And so part of what he's introducing us here to are two significant men in the expansion of the church. But other than that, we don't know much about them. But the church selects these seven men, brings them to the apostles. In verse 6 then, they set, set them before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. And so this, this act of laying their hands on them is a way of, of commissioning them, of, of expressing the authority that they are delegating to these men. Luke doesn't go into any details about how this all worked, how these men began to serve, but it, but it obviously was effective as they, they adapted in an appropriate way um, to this new way of doing things. It, it preserves their unity, allows the growth to continue because Luke writes in verse 7 that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So this is another one of Luke's summary statements where he talks about how the word keeps expanding, how it keeps growing. And, and clearly the health and the unity of the church is preserved. They continue to meet practical needs and stay on mission. The word of God keeps spreading. The number of the disciples are multiplied. And it says that it began to make inroads 
as many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A growing, healthy church will adapt and change to meet needs and stay on mission. Sometimes people will say, I wish we could just do church like they did in the, like the early church. Let's just be like the early church. And so my question is, well, is that the early church when, when the leaders were responsible for preaching the word and administering practical needs? Or is that the early church when the apostles delegated that responsibility and they focused on the word, right? I mean, the early church already is changing and adapting. And I think there's a lot of things we, we should model for sure. But I think what we're seeing here is that the thing to model, the thing to adapt to, is this willingness to change, this willingness to adapt, to, to let God lead so that we could be a church that stays healthy, growing, meeting needs we're called to meet, and stay on mission. A growing, healthy church will adapt and change to meet needs and stay on mission. Now, in the remainder of our time, I, I want to think about some implications of that truth, of, of that principle. The first is this, if, if that's what a growing church needs to do, then we need to have a willingness, right? We need to be willing to let God lead us to adapt and change. We need to have a willingness to, to innovate, to, to change in ways that He is leading us. Not just change for change's sake, but let God lead change. And, and honestly, sometimes this is hard. Often this is hard. A lot of times we don't like change. And yet it's necessary if we're going to stay a growing, healthy church. This has been part of our history. Uh, this has been in many ways. And, and I'm thankful that this has been part of our history as a church. Just think about how we've changed some of our ministry structures. When Cindy and I first arrived at this church, January 1987, the church as a whole was a small group. Everyone in the church knew everyone else. And, and if there was a need, the church could respond. I mean, you just, you, everyone knew everyone. And, and so you didn't really need small groups. So you just showed up and you were together because the church was small enough. And yet over time, as the church grew, it no longer was possible for everyone to know everyone. And so we needed to develop a new structure. And, and we started our small group ministry structure because you needed a way for people, not, you can't know everyone, but you can know some. And you needed to find a way to be cared for and connected so that needs can continue to be met. We adapted and we changed. Or think about our Stephen ministry. Uh, this is a ministry structure that was birthed out of a need to adapt and change. There was a time where a pastor or an elder could show up and be present for every need that existed and, and kind of walk with that person in that need. But as the church grew, that was no longer possible. All the needs for, for care and someone showing up for, for prayer and counsel could no longer be met just by pastors and elders. And so out of that, Stephen ministry was birthed, right? Now we have this team of, of highly trained volunteers who meet with people, who walk with them as they go through difficult seasons of life. They do an amazing work caring for those needs. But, but we adapted, we changed, we developed a new structure to let that happen. These are just two of the ways we've adapted and changed our ministry structure to meet needs and stay on mission. And, and we expect that as we move into the future, we will need to continue to do this, to continue to meet the needs that God is calling us to meet, to continue to stay on mission. 
So it takes a willingness, right? It takes a willingness to continue to say, God, lead us to make the changes that you're calling us to make. Leaders need to be willing to make changes. Congregation needs to be willing to make changes. In this passage, it's both leaders and the congregation that are willing to let a new group of leaders step in and, and lead in this practical ministry of making sure the widows are taken care of. Let me mention a couple of other implications related to change. These are more heart-level things when it comes to change. This one didn't make your outline. This is what happens when new thoughts come after uh, the bulletin's printed. But uh, first, we, we need to change our expectations of what it means for the church to show up and meet needs. We need to change our expectations of what it means for the church to show up and meet needs. The church could have said, the, the, the Hellenistic widows could say, hey, if, if the main leaders of this church, if the apostles aren't the ones showing up and meet my needs, then the church really isn't meeting my needs, right? They could have said that, but they didn't. There was a new group of leaders that they let meet these needs. Sometimes there can be the thought that if a pastor doesn't show up to a situation to be the one that is there, that the church isn't really showing up to meet my need. There, there can be that thought sometimes, right? But here's the thing. If a pastor is required to show up to meet all the needs for care, we would be like the church in Acts 6 where it's not possible for that actually to happen. And there would be all kinds of needs that not, would not be met. We believe that a right understanding of the church is that God calls and gifts many to be part of meeting needs. And so, yes, there will be times where a pastor shows up to be that person that's there. But sometimes it will be an elder. Sometimes it will be a life group leader. Sometimes it will be a Stephen minister. Sometimes it will be another caring, loving person that shows up to meet the need. We believe that's the church, being the church, called and gifted people stepping into situations. And so if we're going to let that happen, though, we, we need to change our expectation of what it means for the church to show up and meet needs and address needs. Here's a second heart-level issue. If we're going to remain a growing, healthy church, then insiders need to be willing to adapt for new people. And again, I have no specific issue in mind here. This is just what I see happening in the passage. Until this appointment of new leaders, all the leaders in this early church were from the Hebrew part of the church. But the insiders were willing to adapt for new people. And now there's this group of leaders from the Hellenistic part of the church. Insiders were willing to adapt for new people. And this is not easy. You know, most of us find a church and stay at a church because we like the church as it is right now. That's why we're here, right? We show up and we appreciate the, the ministries for our kids and for youth. We, we appreciate the opportunities for the adult ministries. We like the style of worship. We like the volume of the worship. We like the service times. We like the church the way it is. So why would we want it to change, right? This is the way we like it. But insiders need to be willing to adapt for new people. In the history of the Evangelical Free Church, some of you know that uh, the, our, our history goes back to Swedish Evangelical Free Churches and Danish-Norwegian Evangelical Free Churches that were planted kind of in the upper Midwest, the Midwest uh, in the late 1800s. Where, I, where I'm from in uh, rural Nebraska, central Nebraska, there's all these little 
evangelical free churches, uh, many of them planted in the, in the late 1800s. And they were all planted by Swedish settlers. And so how did they do church when they first started meeting in the 1800s? Church was in the Swedish language, right? And that's what they spoke. Well, as they moved, you know, kind of through time and as they begin to think about how we're going to reach our neighbors, you know, those Germans down the street, uh, how are they going to do that if they keep speaking Swedish in their services? And so they had a choice. They had a choice to make. Will we retain services in, in the language that we prefer? I mean, these are people that grew up in Sweden. Will we continue to do church in the language that we would prefer? Will we continue to do church and, and, and worship in our heart language? Which you've, if you've ever worshiped in a language not your own, you know it's different. It's not as, it doesn't touch your heart as much. But are they gonna, will they be willing to, to begin to do church in English so that they could stay on mission, meet needs that they were called to meet. And that is exactly the decision that they made. Can you imagine how hard that would have been? But that was insiders being willing to adapt for new people, that they could meet the needs that God was calling them to meet and so that they could stay on mission. And God calls us to be that kind of church, insiders adapting for new people. And, and I don't know, you know, for those of us that would consider ourselves insiders, I don't know what this will mean, but I do knew, know it means that we have to die to any kind of thinking that says, this is my church, and I want it to stay just like it is. Because as soon as we do that, we will not be willing to let God lead us into changes that, we, that He wants us to make. I'm thankful that our history, through our history, we have had a, a, a spirit of insiders being willing to change for new people, and we've changed in a lot of different ways. But there will certainly be a need to continue to have this spirit, to continue to follow God in the ways that he is wanting us to change. Our growth as we go into the future may in, in include kind of increasing kind of multicultural diversity, right? People from other cultures, and, and uh, what will that mean for how we need to adapt through our history, it's already meant kind of generational differences, right? When we first started, uh, everyone was, you know, a lot younger than I am. And, and yet as we've aged as a church, there's been a need to adapt. And just think about what it's meant for how we do worship. When I first showed up at church, it was hymnals, right? But there was a willingness to change, to adapt to younger people and a different style of worship. And I expect that as we move into the future, just that one thing related to multicultural differences and age differences will continue to be an area where we'll have to adapt and change. I've had this thought. I know that there are people in this room that what we do for worship is not your preference, and yet you've had this heart of willingness to adapt to something different that, 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 that church might connect to younger, a younger generation. And I thought, man, I want to be that kind of person as I get older. Like, I like worship right now. I like what we do. I like the songs we sing. I like the volume level. <laughs> I like all that. But I suspect that if I'm still here in 25 years, worship's going to look a lot different than it does right now. And I hope that I'm the kind of person that delights in that and takes joy in that. If that helps us, if that kind of change helps us continue to reach a younger group of people or more diverse cultural people, I hope I'm that kind of person. That as an out insider, I'd be willing to adapt and change. A growing, healthy church will adapt and change to meet needs and stay on mission. This is the kind of church 
that we want to be. This is the kind of church we see modeled in Acts chapter 6. We want to be a church that stays on mission, making disciples of Jesus, people who love God, love one another, and love our neighbors. A church active in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and meeting all the practical needs that he calls us to. This is the full gospel, right? Both proclaiming the good news and meeting needs like we see the church doing here. May God let us, may God lead us to navigate the growing pains that we will experience. And may we navigate those well that we might meet every practical need he calls us to meet and still be firmly engaged in the mission of reaching people for Christ and making disciples of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, the, the model and the example that we see here from the early church and their willingness, the, the leader's willingness, the congregation's willingness to, to adapt and change. And God, may we, may we have that heart, may that be our spirit, again, not to change just for change's sake, but to change in the ways that you would call us to, that we would stay healthy, that we would continue to grow, that we would continue to meet all the practical needs that you call us to meet as well as stay on our mission, our core mission of making disciples who walk with Jesus. Lead us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.